Till I'm Tiptoed You Dot com The podcast about pop culture Black history and spirituality Yeah It's about to be a great vibe Dr. Tip Gonna take it away Till I'm Tiptoed You Hey y'all, hey, it's your girl Tip. Thank you for joining me for another edition of Tell Em Tip Told You, the podcast where I share with you all my musings about black history, black culture, and black spirituality. Today, I want to talk to y'all about uh, these gas prices. <laughs> well, I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on that. I just want you to know I'm also bothered by that. We're going to talk about uh, why we should be a lot more vocal about Brittany Griner. Um I want to talk about the Crown Act a little bit. And then I want to finish up with what happened with Ryan Coogler and talk about black perceptions of self. All right. So you ready? Let's just jump right in. So, y'all, these gas prices finna send your girl to the car lot. <laughs> I'm about to go get me an electric vehicle because this is not sustainable for most of us. It's not sustainable. And here's the thing, right? You know, we joke a lot about Al Gore, but do you know how I'm trying not to, to, you know, you live in the past, you get a little depressed. (laughs) I get so bothered by, but this, these are the consequences when we see disenfranchisement happen, right? If Al Gore had not had the election taken from him. This man, 20-something years ago, was telling us to have alternative fuel sources. And, and look at where we are now. Look at where we are. When you are sent a message, let this be a micro-level lesson, too. When we are sent a message of what, we're need, what we need to be doing and you act like you've got forever to do it, you end up with $5 a gallon gas prices. Not based on a lack of supply, but based on corporate greed. Because we've let rampant, run rampant, this idea of excessive capitalism. You know, materialism has run rampant. And so you've got people just greedy. Like there was an oil executive who talked about, you know, his responsibility was to the shareholder, to the stockholders, not to the everyday driver. Y'all, this is some bullshiggity. Some bullshiggity. Especially when you understand that as fuel prices rise, so does everything else because, because transportation is tri- tied to a lot of this stuff. Uh, the, the United States infrastructure still does not include really sustainable high-speed rail. So if you live in a town like mine, there is no public transportation. There is no train to take. Everything is too spread out. I can't bike to work. You know, those kinds of things. We have not created a sustainable living environment or sustainable economic um, system for most working class people, and it's unsustainable. I think what one of the most dangerous things we can do right now is resign ourselves to the fact that this is just how much gas is going to to cost. I have no I have no quick fix. I'm just lamenting at this moment. <laughs> I have no quick fix, but I will say it, I am becoming increasingly frustrated with the U.S. government. I'm becoming increasingly frustrated because the Democrats just signed this $13.9 billion bill to send money to Ukraine. Listen, it's hungry people right here on my street. 
in my communities. There are homeless people that we pass by every day driving to work. I, really? You you couldn't you can't cancel student loans, but you can send thirteen point nine billion dollars to Ukraine, where people who look like me are being mistreated currently. R- really, that's what we okay. All right. Okay, that's that's one of the few things y'all can agree on. You can't agree on protecting my voting rights in this country where I pay taxes, but you can send my money elsewhere. Okay. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, yeah. So I want to remind us, you know, people, there are certain people who will remind us of the founding documents of this country. I will remind all of us that the founding documents say at what point this U.S. government becomes no longer good for the people, the people should replace it. I'm just saying. Okay. You don't believe me? Go look it up. It is there. <laughs> and this gas price thing and re- halfway related to the gas prices thing is, you know, I see a lot of people. Yeah, I'm happy to. So let me before I said it that way, let me say I am happy that federal bill. Two one one six H.R. two one one six, the Crown Act has passed the U.S. House of Representatives. So now it goes to the Senate. Let me say this. Well, first, let me give the backstory. I'm assuming that we all know the Crown Act is the act that protects people from being discriminated against because of their natural hair. Listen to that again. We need a law to protect people for how the good Lord grows their hair out of their head naturally. You see the undercurrent in that? All right. It passed the House of Representatives, but here's the I'm aggravated part. 235 to 189. That means 189 people voted against the Crown Act. 189 people, y'all. 189 people. Some Somebody was even calling it the bad hair bill. Okay? 189 people think it is okay to discriminate against Primarily black folk, because let's be real, that's what the Crown Act is about. Because of how we choose to wear our hair as it naturally grows from our heads. Does that tell you something? That should tell you something. That should tell you something about how they see you. And the lack of humanity they assign to you. Do you understand that? There are so many of us aspiring to sit at the table with these people who don't even see us. As, why would you want to sit at a table with them? Why? Like that's a conviction that is coursing through my veins right now. Why? And I'm not saying all these are all white people. I'm not. First of all, all my skin folk ain't my kin folk either. I'm saying white people who have a problem with how the Lord grows my hair from my head. Why would I want to be at a table with them? I think it's time for the U.S. worker to understand that. We should be choosing who we choose, who we give our labor to. Right. I tell my students all the time, when you go to a job interview, be interviewing the company. Do your you're not just doing research on the company so that you can sound impressive during the interview. You should also be doing research to understand, is this some place you're going to feel comfortable? Do you want to work somewhere like this? Right. Somewhere where. Uh, they have to reschedule your your interview three or four times before they actually speak to you because that that might tell you something about how they value people's time. Do you want to be somewhere like that where you find out someone was offered $10,000 more than you were and you have superior credentials? Do you really want to be somewhere like that? 
right? As my friend, uh, Dr. Vincent Willis says, we all hoes. It's just that some of us have a higher price, right? Um, do we really want to be in these places? Do I want to work somewhere where the Crown Act becomes essential to my employment to protect me? Do I want to? Anyway, the bad hair bill, y'all, it passed the House. So we'll see what happens in the Senate. Hopefully. But it, you do see if 189 people vote against protecting our labor rights in this way, are you surprised at what is happening to our voters' rights and why the John Lewis Voting Rights Act hasn't passed yet? Are you surprised by that? I hope not. Because it's the same people that just sent $13.9 billion to a white country when they're perpetual. Anyway, Palestine, anyone? <laughs> I Sometimes I laugh to keep from crying. That was not a sincere laugh. That was an unfrustrated laugh. I want to be clear on that. That's some fool. Oh, my gosh. That's foolishness. Foolishness. But let's go back to this whole getting them to recognize our humanity. Let me tell you what happens if you are socialized by people who don't see your humanity. You won't see it either. So that's my segue into the Ryan Coogler thing. Y'all. So you've heard by now, because I'm like a week late with this story. Um Ryan Coogler was at a bank in Atlanta, Bank of America branch in Atlanta, Georgia, attempting to withdraw $12,000 from his account with his ID, his PIN number, and the bank card. The teller says he was acting quote-unquote weird, tells the manager they decided to call the police. Even a dispatcher at the police station was like, did he give you his ID? Yes, but he's just acting weird. All right. The teller was black. (laughs) This is important to my little soapbox I'm about to get on. The teller was black, all right? And he was acting, quote, unquote, weird. Now, weird must be wearing a mask in the middle of a pandaronium uh, because he had on a mask and some shades because he's a celebrity in a city where he made a blockbuster movie. Why wouldn't? Anyway, so that's acting weird. But here's what I really want to get at. This was a a relatively young black girl, all right? She is encountering a black man with all of his credentials, seeking to access an account. And your only thing, because now people trying to clean it up and say his account was flagged. That's not what she said to the police, (laughs) okay? So you can try to rewrite the narrative, which is what we know happens all the time in black history. You can try to rewrite the narrative, but she said, we all heard her say, He's acting weird, okay, because he wrote a note to her. Y'all, he's trying to withdraw $12,000 cash. You you don't understand being discreet? Like, maybe many of us aren't familiar with Atlanta the way some of us are. Uh, you don't want people in Atlanta to know you walk around with 12 Atlanta is home of the hustler, baby. Not just people who will, you know, hit you over the head to take it from you, but other people that just hustle. Like, why would you want everybody to know you taking $12,000 cash out? I refuse to believe that if a white man had come in there with the very same outfit on and wrote the note, it would have been an issue, especially if he provided his ID, bank card, and PIN number. This is the point I want to get to. Why do we think the worst about us when we interact with us? Here's my hypothesis. We are socialized by the same system 
that socializes the police that murdered Breonna Taylor, that murdered Sandra Bland, allegedly, that murdered George Floyd, that attacked uh, same same system that socialized Zimmerman to attack Trayvon. Same system that socialized the men to ki- kill Ahmaud Arbery. Do you understand where I'm going with this? We are socialized by the same system. And most of us went through the same public school system. Meaning the same system that teaches them not to recognize our humanity is sometimes teaching our own children not to recognize our humanity. How can you look at another black man and have your hand on your pistol and he ain't doing, he didn't even raise, y'all, did you see the video? I would have been cutting up so hard, so harshly. Every four-letter word I know, I would have made some up, y'all. Talk about compound where I would have made some up, okay? That man wasn't doing none of that, and you got your hand on your pistol. What are you seeing in him? What was she seeing in him that was quote-unquote weird? Discretion? A black man with that much money with discretion? Because certainly those aren't the images that we're fed about black wealth. Not in this country. So maybe it is weird for her to see a money with that, a man with that much money, a black younger black man with that much money who's not flashy, who ain't got on the obvious Versace print. You know what I mean? Like, how are we seeing each other when we encounter each other? And where does that image or perception come from? I don't know that we're spending enough time in quiet reflection about this. Somebody need to get old girl. And I don't mean get violently. I mean, somebody needs to sit her down and have a real conversation, come to Jesus moment about what did you see and why did you think it was strange? Now, I've also seen people say, well, why did he write the note? There was nothing aggressive in the note. I don't know if you saw the note. It was nothing in there aggressive. Um, Again, he's in the land of hustlers trying to take out $12,000 cash. I wouldn't want people around me to hear it either. Right? Somebody said, well, why didn't he go into one of the back, uh, make an appointment, go into one of the back offices? Number one, I don't know if he's just running, you know, between errands, you just run into the bank. So maybe that's why he didn't. Again, discretion. If you go into the back, then everybody in there is like, well, who is he? You know what I mean? So we're not going to make excuses. We're not going to make excuses for why these predominantly black folk in this bank acted the way they did about another black man. Let me tell you my hypothesis. Let me finish the first one and then I'm going to tell you my second one. The first one is because we are socialized by that same system, we too can be perpetuators of white supremacy. Particularly if we have bought into the narrative that black people are innately criminal and innately deficient. There are far too many of us that believe that. Let me tell you what happened to me yesterday on TikTok. I posted something about how fragility gets taught intergenerationally, right? If you follow me on Instagram or TikTok, you saw me talk about it in in two different ways, right? The short form and the longer form. Here's the thing. There were black people who instantly jumped into my comment thread to tell me that's not fragility, that's manipulation. Did you listen to what I said? In the case I described, the performed fragility is manipulative. 
Why did you jump into my thread assuming that I didn't know what the hell I was talking about? That's the same kind of assumption this girl was making about Kugler being quote unquote weird. Right. Some of us are so conditioned for black deficiency that we don't even wait to see if it's there or not. You follow me? Do you understand what I'm saying? That when you encounter another black person, you are waiting for the failure. And the victory surprises you. That's why y'all still celebrate the first black so-and-so. I saw something something the other day. It said she is the first black um, survey methodologist. Blah, blah. And I was like, black people been using surveys as a methodology. For, what do you mean she's the first? Y'all just making up the first. <laughs> right? What is it about this ordinal ranking that, that is moving you, except that you expect failure. So when you see non-failure, you're like, oh, let's celebrate. Like, what? No. <laughs> no. Why are we conditioned to expect the deficiency in each other? We're socialized to do it. I, I was telling my class the other day, you know, I, I grew up in a predominantly white school system. At the time, it was predominantly white. It's not that anymore. Um, predominantly white schools, predominantly white classrooms because I was in the advanced math and I took extracurriculars like psychology. So, you know, I'm, I'm in predominantly white rooms. And I remember being explicitly taught by, told by some of my teachers, you're smarter than them, right? You're different from them. I remember my psychology teacher, my 12th grade year at Northside High School in Warner Robins, Georgia, uh, this woman said to me, she asked me where I had plans to go to college. And I told her I was going to FAMU. And she said, you're too smart to limit yourself by going to an HBCU. See, this is how we end up with black folk who expect deficiency in other black people. We're socialized along the way. And no black people, because so I'm not just going to blame the, the white folk. No black person has stepped in to shake you to say, hey, that ain't cool. Why do we assume, like, I'm not saying you can't critique blackness. Y'all know I do it all day, every day. (laughs) I'm not saying you can't critique it when it's wrong. But why are you going into the situation believing in the wrongness? I, I just, where does it, I want you to stop. If you automatically go into a live, look at a common thread, interact with somebody in a different social economic class than you, Why I want you, if you automatically expect deficiency, I want you to stop. Go home and ask yourself why. What about me in this moment is making me expect deficiency? Where did that come from? I'm willing to bet it didn't come from you. You got other people's stuff in your head. That's not yours. It's time to let it go. That's not our stuff. I don't expect deficiency. Some of the most brilliant children I've taught, children, some of the most brilliant youth I've taught are at HBCUs. I don't expect deficiency. from. In fact, it, it can cause a lot of uh, disruption in my classes because they want me to expect deficiency. No, I'm going to hold you to a high standard. I don't expect failure. I don't expect raggedy. I don't expect wrongness. If you are wrong, we're going to correct it. But I'm not going into it looking for the wrong. And a lot of us are engaging with each other looking for the wrong. We go to somebody's page. The first thing we, she thinks she all that. What? Can we, why, why, why did you go there? (laughs) Like what just moved you there? 
Let's do that. I, I, now, let me add the literacy piece onto this because I'm trying to get back into my passion, which is black literacy. Listen, y'all. He passed a note. Black folks still ain't supposed to read. Y'all know that. They still don't want you to think we read. Meanwhile, your favorite social media influencers got books out, best-selling books. Somebody's reading. <laughs> Somebody's reading. But they're convincing some of our young people that we don't. I was in class the other day, and I was fussing about, I, I, if, for, for, if you don't know, I teach future teachers. I'm a teacher educator. So I was telling them how anti-homework I am. I'm against giving homework K-12. I don't, it doesn't serve a purpose. It also can, often can have a negative impact on student achievement. So when I, say, I think it's just surveillance. <laughs> and a lot of teachers haven't even thought about it. They're just doing what they've seen done, right? So I was on that soapbox. And this boy says to me, a young man, I won't say a boy. This young man says to me, you give us homework. Well, number one, you're not K-12 anymore. This is not the 13th, 14th, 15th, or 16th grade. (laughs) So I don't really give you homework so much as I give you research projects. That's not the same thing. And he said, well, you expect us to read. You give us reading assignments. Yeah, I'm sure my face dropped. So you're telling me you think it's punitive that I'm giving you readings to do about the field you've elected to pursue? So I asked him, if I don't give you these things to read, how will you learn them? His response was, you will tell me. Okay, so first I had to thank him. I'm glad you trust me that much. I'm glad you trust me to tell you the truth. Do you trust all your professors like that? No. His answer was easy. No. So how do you know you can trust me? I just, you know, you cool. Okay, but I can be a cool con artist. Not all con artists are flaky. Some of them are really good, right? So how you know I'm just not in here conning you? Well, I, I know you're not. Okay, but if I don't give you, so you're telling me if I don't tell you something, you'll never know it because you're not going to read it for yourself. Y'all, there's something that's happening with black literacy in these schools, and we have got to get to the heart of it. Now, I got some ideas about what I think it is, but listen to the story I'm telling you and listen to what happened to Ryan Coogler. There is an expectation that something weird is happening when black folk are reading and writing. Think about your favorite move, black movie, your favorite, uh, with the exception of Best Man, you got a writer in there. But your favorite black movie, your favorite black TV sitcom, Queen Latifah had Flavor Magazine in Living Single, but those are older. Because most of the shows on TV now are cop shows. That's a whole nother propaganda piece that we could have a conversation about. Who's writing? How often do you see your favorite black character writing and reading? Especially for pleasure or to be basically communicative to someone else. Right? We don't see it a lot. And compiled with myths that we don't read. That's why you can think it's strange or weird for a black man to give a teller a note when you're pulling $12,000 out of the bank because you're not expecting it to be written, especially by a black man dressed this way. Y'all, we got a lot of stuff to unpack as a culture and as a community. Um, And I think this is part of what Toni Morrison is getting to when she says racism is a distraction. Like we can't always be looking at 
no, let me rewind because that was going to come out wrong. We should always be looking at structures and systems, okay? We should always be doing that. But we can't be so distracted that we're not looking at how the systems and structures affect us and how we are behaving as a result of that, right? I can't be so outward focused that I miss the thing that it created among us, this expected deficiency, all right, I'm going to stop here because I'm rambling. Because I'm, I'm, this is one thing, y'all, it took me a week to put, over a week to put this together because I, I don't know where to go with it. Like, I'm, I'm devastated by what is happening and it's happening quickly. I started um, teacher education in 2014. I have set, seen a steady decline in the proficiency, literacy proficiency of my students. They are functionally literate. All right. Meaning they can decode the words for me. If I put a sentence on the board, they can read the sentence to me. When I say, what does that mean? Crickets. Again, it's not their fault. I'm not blaming this generation. I'm saying we got to those of us who do understand comprehension. We got to step up to the plate. There's some things happening that we have to be careful. And I want to say this. Let me say this. Oh, hear me when I say. Stop telling black people who can't get a job anywhere else to teach at HBCUs. Okay, I said it. It's too many. It's too many. It is too many. Black folk who just want a doctorate for the title. It's too many of them. (laughs) There are too many of them. And too many of them end up at our schools teaching these babies. And then we wonder why the babies can't read. Okay? I I said it. Got a problem with it? Email me. Dr. Tip at TellThemTipToldYou.com I understand. It's a frustrating thing to hear. And it's not just HBCUs. It's it's some PWIs like that too. But y'all, If there's an educator that don't want to be educated, don't send your babies to them. (laughs) I was to say that. All right. I'm all over the place now. I I got the episode done. I got it done. Listen, can we stop expecting the worst of black people? I don't don't know how to say that. Except, hey, y'all, I love you. Uh, I got some things happening. If you're hearing this today on Monday, March 21st, I got a live happening on um, Zoom tonight. So send me an email and get the link. That's that. All right, y'all. Make it a good one. Tell them to tell you. Y'all, I can't believe I did what I was about to complain people do, and that is we cannot forget about what's happening with Brittany Griner. I wanted to make sure we said her name, we that, that we speak her name, that we... Um, uplift her name, that those of us who believe in prayer, um, who can tend to some pots, knock on some graves, that we do what we need to do uh, to get Sister Home safe and sound. I think Russia made a profound mistake in thinking that she could be used as a pawn. We know that here, black woman life, particularly black queer woman life, (laughs) it just don't mean the same thing to the powers that be anyway, but they damn sure matter to us. So let's um, send good, positive energy for sister and keep her name out there. If they don't speak her name, we will.
make it a good one, y'all.